So here another very word of God, as it is given to us in the Gospel of Luke, reading from the second chapter, verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And may the Lord bless this reading of his word to our understanding this morning. Let's ask him to bring it alive for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us not only to see the narrative here, but to step back and consider it in the context of all of redemptive history, both before this and after this. This is so relevant to us. It's so relevant to the church. It, it, it is so uh, wonderful to see how it is embedded in this nativity narrative that uh, not only are we talking about the advent of our Savior, but we're also talking about the, the marching orders, if you will, of the church that he will form. So, Lord, I pray that you will give me the words to bring that out clearly so that we can see it and that you would be glorified in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The book of Ezekiel um, has this beautiful, beautiful chapter, this beautiful part of it where it speaks of the river. Now, you know that I read this earlier for you in the moment of the word, but let me just remind you of some of what was said so it's fresh in your mind. Ezekiel writes this. He says now he's in the river. He's been tracing it from its origins. And there's an angel, we assume, that is leading him and showing him how the river grows and grows and grows and seems to perpetuate itself, to be growing exponentially in and of itself. And this is what we read in the sixth verse. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Very, very similar in the imagery here of the river of life that we see emanating from the throne at the end of the book of Revelation. But what is important that we recognize here is that this river starts as a trickle literally 
in the temple, trickles out of the temple, and then as it progresses, becomes deeper and deeper and wider and wider, and Ezekiel is overwhelmed by that, and it says it goes through the eastern region. Well, you need to remember that that is one of the most, the driest deserts in the world. Nothing grows in the area east of Jerusalem, but this river is going to flow through that area. Every place it goes, it's going to bring out a garden, like a return to the Garden of Eden, and finally, it's going to empty into the Arabah. Well, that's what we call the Dead Sea. And the reason we call it the Dead Sea is because it's dead, because virtually nothing will live in there because of the high salt content and all the minerals that are there. And so this river of life, wherever it flows, is going to bring life and, and, and regenerate everything. Well, not everyone agrees on how to interpret this. But I'm among those who see this as a picture of the gospel during the church age. This is what's going to happen because that is Jesus going back to the temple and the new temple and the new Jerusalem, the new Adam. Jesus is going to start this river and it's going to grow and grow and grow. It's going to perpetuate itself and it's going to exponentially expand until it fills the entire sea and turns it into fresh water. Well... I believe we're seeing a picture of that in our text this morning. And I know I've got to bring this out. I know it's not readily uh, apparent. But I believe that what we are seeing is a flow. And it starts in heaven. And it flows through the angels and the heavenly host. And it flows to the shepherds. And then we're going to see how the shepherds handle that. Now, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know that I have been kind of forming a context of this narrative of this story, uh, a chiastic context, if you will, bookends. And the two bookends are the glory of what is happening here, starting with Zechariah. Zechariah, at the end of his great song, the Benedictus, talking about how this is the culmination of all redemptive history, how the light is going to pierce the darkness, how they're going to be visited by the sunrise on high, the day spring, and those who are lost in darkness are going to see a new light. Well, that's the glory of the most important event in human history, the culmination of all God's covenants, which is the advent of Jesus Christ. Well, the other bookend, and we've seen that, we just finished that last week, that's when the angel comes and the Shekinah glory of God comes down and covers the area and then heaven opens up and there's this heavenly host that all of a sudden appears, an army of God singing glory to God in the highest. And so we have these two bookends of glory kind of nestled in the middle is the most humble, the, the shortest, scant on words explanation of the birth of Jesus. And, and, and it really highlights the kind of Messiah he's going to be. And then right after that, there are those he came to save, the shepherds. And we'll talk a little bit about the shepherds in a moment. But that's the way that I've been presenting it to you over the last couple of weeks. But I kind of want to change that this morning. I don't want you to see it so much as bookends as of a flow. Because that's what we're looking at. Our metaphor, our overriding metaphor is that river of Ezekiel just flowing through the time and through the ages and through the world bringing life wherever it goes. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it starts before eternity starts. We know that's 
but when it was decided that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. And then all of redemptive history has been focused on that. All the covenants, all the promises of God, all the prophecies heading towards one event. Now, of course, in Luke's rendition of this, we start with Zechariah, who brought all that into play and talks about that event. And that flows into the birth of Christ himself. And as I just said, it was surprising to us because it wasn't all that spectacular. Just a little one, almost one sentence he gives us about the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, that flows into, even though we change venue a little bit, that flows into introducing those that he came to save, the lowest or some of the lowest on the totem pole of Jewish society were the shepherds. But these represent those who are lost, those who need to be saved. Well, then as that continues, all of a sudden these shepherds are out minding their own business and an angel appears before them. Simultaneously, the Shekinah glory of God shines all around them. That's the main event. That's really what's going to captivate the imagination is that God has come as a theophany. But then the angel shares the good news about Jesus Christ with these shepherds. It, it even is referred to as the gospel, Jan Galitzo in, in the Greek. And so he tells them, for to you has been born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the King and Lord, the Son of God incarnate. He explains to these shepherds the whole gospel of Jesus Christ and then almost immediately heaven opens up and there's an army of mighty angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those upon whom his favor rests. And we see this beautiful flow as there's not only the sharing of the gospel, the shining of the light and the souls of the shepherds, and then the exclamation point from heaven. And what we're going to see this morning is all of a sudden, as quickly as it came, it's gone. Shepherds are left alone. The night closes in. And the question that we have before us is what are they going to do with the revelation they have received? What are they going to do with what has just happened to them? And that's what the focus of this is going to be. Will it stop there? Will it be just a phenomenon that occurred? Or will there be a continuation? Is the flow going to not only continue, but it is, going, is it going to expand? Well, that's what we're going to see as we turn to our text. Before I do, though, let me make a little bit of a disclaimer as far as the shepherds are concerned. I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of weeks when we first started talking about the shepherds and I explained what they represented, I, I, I told you at that time, I might not be being fair to this particular group of shepherds. Because actually, we don't know. They could have been devout men. They could have been members of the Messianic community, just like Joseph and Mary, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, just like Simeon and Anna. I mean, they could have been faithfully waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And in fact, there are quite a few brilliant minds who think that and write that. Among them, John MacArthur. Among them, William Hendrickson. I mean, these are really bright men. And they see these as devout men, and that's the reason that God came to them. But then there's other brilliant minds, like R.C. Sproul and Calvin, who say, no, I don't think so. I mean, that's not the focus, or at least it's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on 
conversion. Because you see, they do represent those who are lost, those who are shunned by society, those who were scallywags, petty thieves and petty criminals, and no one wanted them around. And so therefore, we start from there, so we would assume that there is a conversion. And I'm going to make the point this morning, brothers and sisters, that there was a dramatic conversion. You cannot be in that place where they were. And not have, and have the Shekinah glory of God shine on you and the gospel share to you without there being a conversion of some sort. So we're gonna, we're, we're gonna bring that out. But I just wanted to tell you that, that not everyone agrees with me that this is a conversion and not everyone talks so negatively about the shepherds. So if you read that elsewhere, you know that there's room in the paradigm that I'm creating here for both opinions. With that said, let's jump into the text because we start with the statement, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, now let's just leave it like there. Okay, when the angels departed. Now it appears to me, if you've been paying attention or if you were listening last week, it appears to me that the departure of the angels is decidedly different than the arrival of the angels. Remember, we talked about the word that was used for their arrival. It was the word just to exist. One instant they were not, the next instant they were. I mean, that was how quickly the heavenly host appeared. But here it says that the angels went away from them into heaven. It, it talks about place. In other words, the word depart there, went away, mean, gives the idea of place. They departed from one place and they went to another place. So the idea of motion is there. That all of this mighty host of angels takes off and you can see them ascending into heaven. What a sight. That must have been. If you read this stuff too carefully and you don't think about it, you miss some of the most beautiful pictures. As, as all of these angels took off together. Have you ever walked through a, a bunch of birds, like pigeon, bigger birds like pigeons and doves, you know, that are on the ground? Have you ever walked through them and had them all take off at once? When Kay was uh, going through her chemotherapy for breast cancer and, you know, she was out for, a, a, you know, periods of time. And so before we had a farm in the backyard, we had a little bird menagerie. I had all these bird feeders because she liked to sit there in the chair and look at the birds. And the little birds would get in the, the bird feeders, but the big birds couldn't. So all the grain that the little birds would knock on the ground, they were covering the ground. There was just a whole bunch of them. Now, if you walked outside or if they got spooked for some reason, there was this, this huge flapping sound as these birds just took off together. I'm sure you've seen that. Can you imagine the sound of this multitude of angels, every one of them would strike fear and wonder in your heart and they all take off to heaven. We're told there's a multitude. That means a vast number. They all take off to heaven at the same time. Oh, what a sight that must have been. Well, anyway, the important thing here is that the shepherds are left alone. The, the angels depart. We assume that the Shekinah glory of God departs and the night closes in. That's the way it started. They're out in the middle of their fields at night. And this happens and all of a sudden it is over. 
I can only imagine these shepherds looking at each other as if to say, did that really happen? (laughs) Did you see what I just saw? I mean, am I dreaming? Was that a vision? Am I hallucinating or something? Or did that actually occur? Now, this is a crucial part of this. What's going to happen next? Okay, now they've had this most amazing revelation. They've had the, the, the Shekinah glory of God. They've heard the gospel. They've seen the heavenly host. Now, what happens? I like the way that William Hendrickson puts this. He says, the doctor has given the prognosis. Now, the question is, will the patient be compliant? The preacher has delivered his sermon. Will the congregation apply it? And implement it. What will these shepherds do with the light that has been shown upon them? Well, it is an incredible time of testing, but I think that actually that's kind of a moot question. And again, I'm going to go back and and explain because of the conversion that has happened. Again, I, I don't see how it's possible to be a shepherd. I don't care how faithful or how uh, good you are. Uh, we're all lost sinners. Uh, every single one of us, when we stand before the holiness of God, and remember those, those, those um, shepherds were terrified out of their wits because they were faced with that kind of glory. When that glory signs upon your soul and you are shared the gospel by a messenger of God and the heavenly host comes and sings, praise God, glory to God in the highest... I just cannot see that as not being a time of conversion. And guess what? When you're converted like that, when it's real, when something occurs, there is a manifestation in your life. And the very first thing you want to do is you want to know the one who saved you better. And so they go looking for Jesus. And that is exactly what we do, brothers and sisters. We go looking for Jesus To find the one who actually just changed our hearts and our lives forever. So, nonetheless, what we see is um, them uh, the 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 major change occurring to them, and then um, they go on and, and, and they begin to confer with each other. The shepherds said to one another, "This this is one of those passages that you don't think about it unless you think about it." And there are so many beautiful lessons for us here. As I said, what, what normally happens when the light shines on us or, or what would shine on these shepherds is like, did that really actually happen? And, and brothers and sisters, if, if you've been a Christian for a long time like I have, but you remember what it was like when you came to know the Lord then you know that this is one of Satan's tricks. Boy, he comes at you after the euphoria is gone, after the angels have left, after the Shekinah is gone, and he starts to hit you with this doubt. Did that really happen to you? Did you really have a life change? And then, of course, what does he do? He begins to prick your flesh to show you that you still have temptations. Nothing has happened to you. That's why it is so important that Christians confer with each other, that we compare our experience, that we say, hey, yeah, that same thing happened to me. I was lost and now I'm found. I was in the dark and now I see the light. I used to hate God and now I love him. Something has happened to me. And then we can get together because we have the same experience. So it's vital and valuable that these shepherds got together 
And they began to confer with each other. And here's what they said. They said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Now, what you can't see in that text, because it's not translated. It is picked up in the next verse, but it's not translated in this verse. That in that let us go, there's a little word in there, just two characters, D-E, day in the Greek. And what it means, the Greek has these sort of markers that it places in the text sometimes to, to add an accent to it. And what it means is urgency. There's an urgency. It's not like, hey, you know something? We really ought to go over to Bethlehem someday and see this Christ child. But right now, we have more, we have other things that are more important to do. No, it's let's go right now. We just, what we have just seen, the angel has just told us that there is a savior in Bethlehem. Let's drop what we're doing. Of course, they're going to have to take care of their sheep some way. We don't know how they do that. But somebody's watching after their sheep and they say, let's go immediately. There is an immediate compliance as they go. They make a quick and an immediate decision. And again, there's a lesson here. One of Satan's greatest tricks, brothers and sisters, once you have received revelation from God, once you have got clear direction, once he has spoken to you in one way right now, it's through the word. When he speaks to you through the word and you know that this is what the Lord wants you to do and you wait. (laughs) Oh, well, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it next week or, you know, I'll take care of that complacency and laziness is one of Satan's greatest tools that he uses against us to keep us from doing what the Lord has called us to do. But not these shepherds, boy. They immediately took off as quickly as they could and they began to make their way to Bethlehem. Now, notice also what um, what they say at the very end of that verse, which the Lord had made known to us. Again, a very valuable lesson there. Did the Lord say anything to these these shepherds? Do you remember him speaking? Now, we know that the glory of God was there. We saw it as a theophany. But did he speak to them as he spoke to Peter, James, and John out of the cloud at 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 the mountain of transfiguration? No, he didn't. There was nothing that the Lord said. So look what the shepherds are doing. They are accepting the words of the messenger of the Lord as if it was the very words of God himself. And brothers and sisters, when you and I read this Bible, the word of God, it is just as authoritative as if God were here himself telling us to our faces what he wanted. This is our only rule of faith and practice. Everything we need to know is in this book. So when God speaks to us through this book, even though human beings wrote it down, it is authoritative, just as if the Lord had been there himself. Well, going on into the 16th verse, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They went with haste. There we get that urgency. But I want you to notice something else again about the what the shepherds are doing. The angel never actually told them, hey, go to Bethlehem. Search down, search out the Christ child and, and, and go worship it. He never said that. All he did was tell them unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and the rest 
was the compulsion in the hearts of the shepherds. There was a compliance that transcends obedience because they desired more than anything else in the world to seek out and find Jesus. To know the King of kings and Lord of lords who has come. And so therefore they go hunting for him on their own. There is a compliant. There is action that is taken, brothers and sisters. There is action. It's not enough to just hear the good news. There's got to be some some movement, some activity on our part. And of course, you know, James talks about this quite a bit, excuse me, in his book when he says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He talks about that quite a bit. Now, he's not saying that we need to work for our justification. We're entirely passive in that. And he's not saying that we can win brownie points with God by doing good works. What he is saying saying is that if you truly are converted, if you have that experience, then there is going to be a manifestation of that in your life. You are going to want to find Jesus. You're going to want to desire God. You're going to want to read his word. You're going to want to attend church. This is a change in your wanter. And that is an indication that there is a real transforming that has occurred in your heart. And obviously, that's what's happening with this shepherds. This is one of the reasons I say, you can't tell me there's not a conversion here. Because there is a desire to go and find Jesus. Now, that is exactly what they're going to do. So they're going to go off searching for Jesus. Now, this is not a given, is it? Let's put it into the context. Because what is the... The angel told them about where Jesus is. Well, unto you was born this day in the city of David. So we know it's in Bethlehem. A savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, that doesn't tell him where to find him. He goes on in the next verse and says, and this will be a sign for you. Okay, here's the sign point, the, the signpost. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. And lying in a manger. So they basically have three different sets of information to to talk about. Now, by the way, let's back up a little bit and talk about the city of David. They know that the child is in Bethlehem. And, 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 and we don't know how far away from Bethlehem they are. To back up in, in the verse just before this, it says that they, they, they decided to go over to Bethlehem. Well, that is a phrase that denotes the degree of distance, not just a hop, hop, skip, and a jump. In fact, the traditional view of the fields where the shepherds were, and you have to be really careful about traditional views because they're quite often wrong, if not most often wrong. But that's two miles outside of where Bethlehem would have been. And, and that's probably somewhat accurate. So it's going to take them a while to get even to Bethlehem. Now, when they get there, they've got three kind, three little definitions, three points of information that they know in order to find Jesus. They know he's a baby. Well, Bethlehem's an ancient city. It's probably crammed full of people right now because of the census. So there's probably a whole bunch of babies in Bethlehem, and that's not going to do them any good. 
he's wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, all that really tells them is that it's uh, it's not necessarily a newborn, but a a small baby, a recently born baby, because that's the way that they would wrap them up. And so there's probably more than one child wrapped in swaddling cloths in Bethlehem. And, And they have an added problem to deal with in that Well, we started out by hearing that the shepherds were abiding their flocks when? By night. So this is nighttime. So, well, look what's happened. We've had the angels come. We've had them come and go. We've had the decision about going to Bethlehem. How are we going to do with our sheep? We're going to take a trek to Bethlehem. It's late. By the time they get there, all the doors and the houses are going to be shut and the babies are going to be inside. How on earth are they going to find the baby? Well, there's, there's one defining piece of information. He'll be in a manger. <laughs> so all right off the bat, what do they know? Well, he's going to be where a bunch of animals are because that's what a manger is. It's a trough where you feed animals. Now, that doesn't help you quite as much as you might think it would because every house had a courtyard usually, and that's where they kept all their animals because they used those animals extensively. But at least they know they're looking for a place where animals live, and most likely it's going to be one of the few lights, I don't mean electric lights, I mean oil lights, lamps, that is shining at this particular point in time because most everyone else has gone to sleep. But the reason I'm pointing all this out is that these shepherds had to seek for Jesus. They wanted to find the right Jesus. They wanted to find the Lord, the one who is Savior, the one who is King, the one who is God in the flesh. They're not going to find a substitute and they would have searched all night if that's what it took, but... As it turns out, they find the, the baby with Joseph and Mary and the child lying in the manger. Well, once they find the baby, this is what we hear they do. Look in the 17th verse, and this is one of the most revealing verses that we have in this story. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them, concerning this child. When they found Jesus, wouldn't you expect that Luke would tell us how they fell down on their faces before him and worshipped him? Wouldn't you expect that Luke would tell us about the conversation that Joseph and Mary and the shepherds had comparing stories about uh, the, the, the divine revelations that they had had? No, in in fact, the only thing that we hear is what happened to the shepherds. Now, this is one of those instances like when we read about the the, the birth of Christ. Remember, Luke says this in the seventh verse, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, period. We're going to have to learn from what Luke doesn't say just as much as what he does say. You see, Luke... In my mind, and not just my mind, other people like Calvin. Calvin was really, had a beautiful commentary on this whole section. But there's a flow that Luke is presenting to us. There's a flow that starts in heaven. Remember the stairs, the gates of heaven, I told you, the angels ascending and descending on it. It's coming down to share all this information with these shepherds, those who represent those who are lost, which is us in the church. 
Okay? There's a flow that starts there. Actually, it starts before the foundation of the world, but it flows through that. Now it is flown into the shepherds. So what Luke is interested in is showing you the flow of the gospel. It's interested in telling you what the shepherds have to say, even to the likes of Joseph and Mary. No word about what Joseph and Mary say. No word about anything else. Luke just jumps right over it. In fact, if we look at this, brothers and sisters, I think this is a very interesting comparison for us to make. First of all, just like last week, we're going to have to take everything we know about the nativity scene and throw it out. Okay, I mean, That's why I was telling Kay on the way out here, it's really nice to be doing this not at Christmas. Because uh, everybody loves all that picture at Christmas. Well, it's not Christmas. So, so let's take a look at the script or the text the way it is. Now, what normally you do is you normally see the manger or the stall. You see the baby Jesus in a very clean, looks more like a cradle than it does a trough that they feed animals out of. And he's got a nice bed of straw there. And sometimes he even has a pillow. But there's this big halo around his head and the whole room is being illuminated by the Christ child in, 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 in the manger. Now, Mary and Joseph are usually bent over him. They also have halo around their heads and they're worshiping him Uh, at that point all the animals have gathered around and they're enjoying the worship as well over here there's a bunch of wise men and the gifts that they've brought over here there's shepherds and they brought their sheep with them over the stable there's an angel hovering in the air he doesn't flap his wings he just hovers there and then of course over all of that is the star shining down upon the stable that's not what happened Folks, now listen, I, I, please listen to me before I say this. I do, I do not mean any disrespect to our Lord. Spiritually speaking and redemptively speaking, this is the most significant event that has ever happened in the history of humanity up to this point. Okay? The coming of Jesus from a redemptive period, uh, perspective is the most significant event. But let's just look at this and try to follow what Luke tells us And let's look at it from a very human perspective. After all, the angel didn't appear to Mary and Joseph, did he? He appeared to the shepherds. The glory of God didn't shine down upon that stable, did it? Shone down upon the area around the shepherds. The heavenly host didn't come and sing the glory of God to the people of Bethlehem. But to the shepherds out in the field. Who has the story to tell? Who has the, the, the glorious testimony? Because let me just, without getting too graphic, what, what happened in that stable that night? Well, a child was born. A human child was born humanly. There's pain. There was moaning. There was crying. There was probably screaming at the height of it. There was blood and all kinds of bodily fluids and things like that. And a baby comes out blue, covered with blood, screaming his head off because it was a healthy birth. Probably the room has got other people in it. So it was a very earthy, intensely human event. Now compare that to what happened out in the field. 
where the angel comes and shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see a conversion. The glory of God shines all around them. And the army of heaven shows up, pierces the darkness to sing the glory of God. You see, it's the shepherds who have the story to tell. Even Mary and Joseph. I know this wouldn't bode too well with the Roman Catholics who deify Mary. But guess what? She's not above Satan talking in her ear either. She's just been through a normal human birth. Did God really tell me? Did the angel really tell me that this is the son of God? Boy, it sure seems like a normal human to me because that was a very human birth. It certainly hurt like one. You see... The, the, the shepherds come in and say, no, don't listen to the dark side because God just appeared to us in his glory. The angels came down to affirm, yes, this is the savior of the world. Yes, this is the king of kings. Yes, this is the word incarnate when God becomes flesh because the angels just told us to reaffirm everything that just happened. What a beautiful, beautiful statement that is. So I, I, I really think we need to, to make sure we notice that it was still that Luke is bringing us the flow all about what happened to the shepherds and not actually still the, the underplaying of what happened there in the stable. Well, they come and they tell everyone about what happened. Look in the 18th verse. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. All who heard it. Who are they? What do you mean all who heard it? Who else is in that stable besides Mary and Joseph and Jesus and a bunch of animals? So at least that's the way the nativity scenes have it. Well, it's hard to answer these questions because scripture doesn't tell us. So we have to make guesses. But I think a good guess is that no, they weren't alone in the stable. Because if they aren't able to find a room in town, the chances are vastly in favor of the fact that there's a bunch of other people who didn't find a room in town. So this particular stable is probably the overflow of the inn. If Lou Wallace is correct in the way that he he describes this, Lou Wallace wrote Ben-Hur. If you've never read Ben-Hur, the book, read it. It's nothing like the movie, okay? But it's a beautiful book that, and, and he gives a very accurate rendition of what the, the, what the, um, inn would look like. And he sees this as being the place in the inn where the animals were kept, a, 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 a cave with a shack built on top of it as the overflow when the inn's too full. And so there was an overflow, so even more uncomfortable for Mary. There probably were quite a few people in that, that place. Well, um, and also if it was part of the inn, uh, then there would have been a lot of people there. But the second thing is that, uh, remember, we're in the middle of the night now. And it's a very good chance that the shepherds might have stuck around for a day or two to just continue to share with everyone the good news that they had heard from the angels that the Christ is born. So, you know, they're going to return to the fields, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was that very night. But, you know, there's something that we need to see in that verse, too. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
Now, at first blush, that looks pretty good, doesn't it? There's wonder. There's awe. It's like, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. That's a great story. But when you really think about it, that's not the desired effect, is it? That, that, that's not really what we want. I mean, wonder and awe is good. But if that's all it is, is that's as far as it goes, then that's not the whole purpose of the gospel. There's no conversion. There's no running around Bethlehem to tell everybody what the shepherds have told them. It's just like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Can you make it happen again? We'd love to see that. And this would plague Jesus throughout his ministry. People would come and be uh, overwhelmed with his, his miracles. And they'd all go home saying, wow, wasn't that incredible? And then never accept him as Lord and Savior. You, you see, the object of the exercise is not just wonder. It is so that you you see the truth and so that you understand who Jesus is and you accept him as Lord and Savior of your life and you have a life change that occurs within you and not just wonder and awe. Wonder and awe is great. It's part of it. But if the wonder and awe comes without a real conviction, the kind of life change that we're seeing in these shepherds, it's just wonder and awe. Well, anyway... They're, um, they're, 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 they're seeing that. Um, and, 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 and there's one other thing I want to bring out about this particular part of the scene before we go on. And once again, this is something that Calvin brought out, and I really thought it was really good. Notice the part that these shepherds are playing, okay? When we step back and we take a look at it, and we see that we didn't really hear about Mary and Joseph or anything that happened in the stable. All we're hearing about is the shepherds tell them what happened to them. The shepherds are... Secondary angels, you see? What the angels came to do, and I told you this last week, they came to say, this is the way we do it in heaven. This this, this is what it means to be a kingdom dweller, and the kingdom has now come to earth. What's your focus? Your focus is on the king who has just been born, the kingdom which arrives with him, and the fulfillment of all redemptive history, which is wrapped up in that little baby lying in a manger. Now, here's the occupation of heaven. We praise God. Glory to God in the highest. This is what we do. So let's continue that here, and this is the objective of the kingdom. We are, after all, the army of the Most High. We are angels who have come to fight the spiritual warfare as the light of Christ pierces the darkness and the darkness fights back. (laughs) The shepherds have picked that up, folks. They're doing exactly what the angels did to them. They're going and they're telling people about what happened to them. They're telling them about the testimony of Jesus Christ. In fact, these guys are the first evangelists, and they actually are setting the modus operandi of the kingdom from that point on. And you wonder how the river turns into a, from a trickle to a raging torrent. This is the way. Because those who see the light and it is incorporated in them cannot hold it inside, and they quickly begin to tell other people, Jesus told us that, Remember? He told us that if you're really, really impacted by the light, you're not going to be able to keep that light inside of you. He said to his disciples, and yes, we are his disciples, so he is talking to us. When he says in Matthew, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I would even take it a step beyond that, which is stated elsewhere in Scripture. You cannot hold it inside. Just like the shepherds were compelled to go find Jesus, they are compelled to tell their testimony about what had happened to them and what the angels have shared with them. This is the modus operandi of the kingdom. This is what we do. We've been doing it for 2,000 years, and that's why the church has grown as it has grown. Well, Mary obviously does not respond the same way as everybody else with just awe and wonder. Look in the 19th verse. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She, she's pondering. And the closest word, I think, that to that word pondering would be the word meditation. And Christians don't like that word meditation. It's kind of a shame. Uh, this is what I want to talk about tonight in the after, after, after church. I told you I was going to kind of press after church down to 630. Uh, so, so not here, but, you know, uh, by following our James study. But there's so much material about what Mary is actually doing. She's pondering. If I was to use a colloquial term, I would say she's trying to get her head around it. She's, she's trying to put all of the myriad pieces that have happened in her head. They're all bouncing around in her head and she's trying to make sense of them. And that's why she's pondering. In fact, I would even use a different word, the, the word brooding. She's brooding over these things. And you say, well, wait a minute. Now, that's got a negative connotation, doesn't it? Like someone does something bad to you and you brood about it and you just, you know, you're just kind of gnawing on nails. Well, that's not actually what the primary meaning of the word is. To brood is to sit on eggs till they hatch. That's what brooding is, okay? That's what a hen does. She broods when she sits on the eggs and when they hatch, she's got little chicks. Well, that's what Mary's doing. She's got all these these eggs, and she's brooding over them. And then they'll hatch, and they'll reveal the truth. Now, I have a lot more to say about that, but um, uh, it would take uh, 15, 20 minutes today, and I'm not going to do it. So come back tonight, 6.30, not here, but online if you'd like to hear that. But anyway, Mary treasures this up, ponders them, and then look in the 20th verse. And the shepherds returned, we don't know if it's that night or later on, but they returned to the fields and glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Once again, notice the secondary angels. Notice that they are doing just what the angels did. They're glorifying God in the highest. And so these shepherds, after they find Jesus, they glorify God in the highest in the same way. That's the occupation of the kingdom of heaven. But I think this is a very revealing celebration, actually, a very revealing glorifying of God, because after all, they found the baby lying in a manger. Now, this is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is God incarnate. And yet, he looks like a normal baby lying in a food trough made for animals. So where's the glory in that? And yet... Because there's been a conversion, because their hearts have changed, because the Holy Spirit reveals to them who that child is, they celebrate nonetheless. And in fact, 
They are so excited about the nature of that king and savior and Lord. Because remember, these are the bottom of the social strata. These are the ones that everybody looks down on. And finally, there's a king who's just like them. There's a king who knows their fears and their doubts and their shortcomings and their temptations and can understand it and loves them anyway. A king who is, 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 all, is God incarnate, but at the same time, a human being. And the very king that Job longed for when he wrote that I would give anything if there would be a mediator who would put his hand on my shoulder and put his hand on God's shoulder and somehow solve this problem between us. That stairway to heaven where the angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man, well, that's exactly who Jesus is, the bridge between a holy God and a sinful man. And so these shepherds, even though they're looking at a baby in a manger in a food trough made for animals, they glorify God because they know who he is. And they understand the depth of what that meaning is. Again, I just want to leave you with this thought. Well, I'm not leaving you yet, so don't get excited. Um, But I just want to leave the text with this thought. That these sheriffs... Did I say sheriffs? These, Sorry, how many times have I said that? That's the first time? Okay. Well, you know what I mean, shepherds. These shepherds... (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. Um, these shepherds are doing exactly what the angels did to them. Okay, the angels came, and we talked about it last week. Why did this heavenly host come? Why did the army of God come and reveal themselves to these shepherds? Well, these shepherds are now doing exactly what the angels did. We are coming to tell you that the king is born, that he is the savior of the world, that he is the Christ, that he is the Lord God in human flesh, That the occupation of heaven is to glorify him and worship him. And the the objective of heaven is to take the news that we have given you about the Christ. Go find Jesus for yourself and then go out into the darkness and spread the light. The whole story, folks, wrapped up in this. The whole flow of the gospel. And you see, this is the reason the church grows. Because this goes over and over and over again. People learning that Jesus is the one and then sharing with others and the Holy Spirit shines on their hearts again. And it goes on and on. So that's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you, I want to personalize this and I like to do this. And this is something that is designed for Christians because only Christians are in this particular situation. But this story about the shepherds is your story and it's my story. Because I think each and every one of us can associate with this. You see, your story starts the same place that this story did before the foundations of the world, before time began. That's when it was decided amongst the Trinity that Jesus was going to be the atonement for the sins of a fallen human race. But it was before the foundations of the world that God wrote your name into the book of life. It was before the foundations of the world that he knew you and that he loved you. And in his mercy, even though you're a sinner, he said, we will send the Son the Christ, to be the atonement to, so the sins can be forgiven. Glory to God in the highest, the angels 
saying, and on earth peace among those upon whom his favor rests. That favor was granted to you, my dear brother or sister, before the foundations of the world. But you know what happened next. We know You know that our first parents, they fell into sin and a gulf was created between God and, and, and us. And, and long before any of us were born, we know that God began a process. A process of prophecy, a, prof, a process of bringing humanity back into relationship with him. And so through the covenants, through the promises he made to the patriarchs and others, and through the prophecies, he leads us all the way up to Zechariah, and then he sends his son, the one who would indeed be the atonement, the savior of the world, and the savior of you and of me if you put your trust in him. But your story starts exactly like those shepherds did. Because just like they're sitting out on a cold night doing what they do every night, just looking after the mundane things of this world. I mean, your mundane things might be bigger and better and, and more expensive and with more um, honor and glory to it than a shepherd. But nonetheless, it's temporal and it's something that is only going to last here on this earth. And you're minding your own business in the darkness and coldness of your own spiritual night. And all of a sudden, the light of heaven shines upon your soul. Just like the Shekinah glory of God came and shined upon those shepherds. And all of a sudden, some way it happens differently with different people. Some of you are like me growing up in a Christian church and you heard the gospel a thousand times and a thousand times it goes right in one ear and right out the other. Some of you hear it one time. But when the Holy Spirit enters your heart, when he takes a hold of you, and we call it by different names, we call it being born again, we call it regeneration, we call it justification, we call it transformation by the Holy Spirit, but in one way or another, God takes out the heart of stone that is at enmity with him, and he places in you a heart that is capable of loving him and bearing the mark of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, for the first time in your life, the gospel makes perfect sense. And like a a bolt of lightning, it shoots right through all of your defenses and directly into your soul. And then heaven opens up and the angels sing. Glory, glory to God in the highest. Do you remember that euphoria? Especially if you came to know Christ later on in life like I did. Do you remember the joy? There's no joy Like a condemned person at the very gates of hell being given a second lease on life. There is no joy. There is no understanding that is so great as that. And there's this euphoria that occurs right after this happens. And then the angels go back to heaven. And the Shekinah glory of God seems to disappear. And the night closes in on you. And the enemy begins to speak in your ear, doesn't he? Did that really happen to you? Oh, brothers and sisters, I can remember for months after I was saved, waking up in a panic because I was afraid that I was going to lose my salvation, that I was going to lose it, that I was going to wake up and be just the way that I was, that somehow I was going to let go of my grip. I didn't realize I wasn't holding on to Jesus. He was holding on to me. And he's never going to let me go. He's never going to let you go. He's got you in his grip. So the devil is a liar. 
And he will lie to you until he goes into the lake of fire. He'll tell you that you didn't happen to you, that you didn't really know Jesus. And of course, he's going to prick your flesh, you know, so you respond and you have the temptations. And usually you do poorly if you're like me. And he's going to say, look, nothing really happened to you. There's no difference. If you're a Christian, you're a rotten Christian. But then... That is why it is so important, brothers and sisters, for us to gather together, to confer with each other, so that one of you can tell me and I can tell you and we can tell each other that, no, don't listen to that liar, because the same thing happened to me. The same Christ changed my heart and my life. And so we bolster each other up. We are compelled to do that. And we are compelled, brothers and sisters, the reason you're here this morning and the reason you come to a church like this is because you're looking for the real Jesus. You're not looking for some counterfeit. You're not looking for one who you make up. Not one that just kind of winks at all of your sins and doesn't ask you to do anything, doesn't ask for you to follow him or keep his commandments or to love him in the way that he has called you to love him. You're here because you really are searching for the real Jesus. And you find him in this word. And that's the reason you turn to the word and you recognize that the word is authoritative. Just as if Jesus was sitting here talking to you directly, the word speaks and it is authoritative for faith and practice. But that's not your only compulsion. That's not the only thing. Brothers and sisters, it is my contention that if Jesus has shaved your heart and filled it with his glory, you cannot hold it inside. You can't continue on in your old sinfulness the way that you were. You can't just keep on being the old person that you were. There's a new you, a new creation. And so therefore, you jump into the flow. You jump into the gospel flow. And you do what the angels did to the shepherd. You see, the focus of your life has changed. It's now focused on the king, his kingdom, The fulfillment of all redemptive history. The objective of your life has changed. Because now you're interested in taking the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness. And sharing it with other people. And that is the objective of the church. And your occupation has changed. That's why you're here this morning. To worship and glorify God. Now brothers and sisters I know. That times are difficult. And perhaps getting ready to get even more difficult. I know that sometimes you feel like the darkness is all around you. I know that sometimes you feel that the angels have left and the Shekinah has left and you're left in the night all alone. But that's a lie of Satan. Brothers and sisters, these shepherds were raised up for such a time as they faced. And you and I are raised up and called for such time as this. This is the time that God in all eternity decided that he would bring you into. Don't lament it. Don't run from it. Don't fear it. Face it. Head on. Because the exact same thing that the shepherds did after they met the angels is the exact same thing that you and I need to do. Jump into the middle of the river and be part and parcel of the flow of the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I, I know that's a very different look at this event that occurred, but I think that's the way Luke was pointing it out to us if we read it carefully. But nonetheless, those are all scriptural truths. This is what you want out of us. This is the, the assurance that you give us. This is the affirmation that you give us as your children. And we just thank you, dear Lord, for that. We thank you for each other, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit who bolsters us and strengthens us and points us in the right direction. Give us the strength and give us the courage to be the kind of church and the kind of Christians that you have called us to be for such a time as this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.